I went to the open drug market to raise the awareness of the reality and take pictures like this and take video like this. And so, because when I first saw the market, I said, this is wrong, like this is horrible. Like how could this be the way that people are buying their medications? It doesn't make sense. And so I went there with a camera crew <laughs> and, you know, we went there to <laughs> afterwards. He was like, you know what? My kids are in the U.S. and they don't want to come back. And he's like, welcome back, my daughter. And I'm like, wow. Wow. you know, like, and people were buying, they were buying it. They were like reaching out to me on my phone was constantly blowing up. I'm like, oh, my God, this is something people will buy online. That's awesome. And Fantastic. so if in 50 years, they're like, wow. Vivian built the largest institution of affordable healthcare, uh, pharmaceutical products, or you know, supply chain platforms, or whatever. You know, they end up saying, and then that is what I came here to do, and that's what I would be happy for people to recognize me for. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Finding African Unicorns podcast of myself, Kweku Debra. On this podcast, what I do is I sit down with amazing founders from some of the most promising startups on the African continent and we talk about a bunch of things. We talk about the journey and the path that they've had to follow to get to this point. We get into a bit of the learnings that they've picked up along the way, some of them truly harsh lessons. And we also get a sneak peek into some of the things that they're doing to really elevate the status of their companies into true champions coming out of Africa. Now, if you like the content on this podcast and you like to listen to some more, watch some more videos, go ahead and subscribe, like the videos, and share with friends who you think might find this inspiring, some of whom probably are on the same unicorn journey. Also, you can subscribe to the content on this podcast via your favorite platforms. And here I'm referring to one, Google Podcast, two, Apple Podcast, and obviously three, Spotify. And so in today's episode, we're going to be welcoming Vivian and Walker as guests to the Finding African Unicorns podcast. She's the founder and CEO of Metsaf, and here's a story of how she's building the Amazon of pharmaceutical products in Nigeria, and how she and her team are looking to expand operations across other emerging markets. It's an interesting conversation with lots of insights. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Just to recap, right, there are three themes there are four themes that you know Vivian wanted to explore with you today the first theme it's really around purpose and impact right so your upbringing your experience before MedSaf and how that sort of prepared you to to do what you're doing now the the second topic is on resilience and, and perseverance and here specifically would love to explore you know the challenges you face and first of all you know relocating to Nigeria which in itself, I'm sure it's a big deal. And secondly, getting met stuff off, off the ground. Um, the third theme is disruption. So we just really want to understand a bit about the MetSAF model, how you're, what you're doing to drive affordability, quality, and accessibility, right? And then lastly, we'll talk a little bit about people because I think you mentioned, I read you mentioned somewhere, you know, HR is one of your biggest challenges. I think it'd be great to just explore that, right, in, in, in a bit more detail. So those are the four, those are the yeah. four topics and themes for, for today. So very exciting. Let's let's delve in. I think to kick it off, um, I was doing quite a bit of research about you before we before uh, before the interview, and I mean you've done a lot. 
even before Metsa, right? You've worked in Wells Fargo. You've did some. You went to politics. You did. You've done a whole bunch of things. And <laughs> you know, one of those people who sometimes feel like in life, uh, you know, everything that you go through sort of really adds up to some ultimate sort of path, right? So I think maybe to start, it would be great if you can just you know take us and the audience through a bit of your journey before before MedSaf and and maybe shed a bit of light around how this prepared you for what you're doing now. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so, I mean, I am in the constant state of learning. Um, so, like, when I was little, you could find me at a family party and I would be in the corner because we had just gone to the library and I'd have a stack of, like, 10 books that I wanted to get through, you know, and I would stay up all night just reading and I was constantly reading or you know, just kind of uh, having these experiences where I could just learn more. Um, and so that, I think, has kind of colored my entire career. It's colored everything that I've ever done. Um, it's just this desire to do things with my hands, learn as much as I can, and try. Um, so I've worked since I was 14 years old, um, you know, working in um, – uh, retail, working in um, coffee, as a barista, you know, I've worked at um, Zales, I've worked at uh, Girl Vision, and, I, and those were all like really early experiences when I was in high school and college that showed me, you know, just how to really understand so many different types of people um, and to meet, uh, match them with what would work best for them. You know, I um, was in, you know, my first real career was in the mortgage industry. And I did think that that was where I would um, stay because it was such a, a high paying job um, and really rewarding. You know, I was really helping um, people within my, um, uh, uh, people within my territory uh, learn how to use their mortgages to, you know, wipe out their debt or, you know, upgrade their homes. And, and I was, you know, getting to really hear these the real life stories about what people were going to do with um, either their new home or the refinance of this property, this value of the home. And I, I became really disillusioned um, during the financial crash of 2008 and seeing all these people who, you know, I had had such great relationships with in the community. And I was doing, you know, uh, trainings on how to just kind of like, you know, work through the system. All of a sudden the system just crashes you know, and that like the American dream has crashed. Um, and so from there, you know, I just knew that in that moment I needed to look out for myself and figure out how to level up, but I wanted to create impact. And so that's how you see me get to um, be able to start out as a person that was volunteering to pass out flyers for a political campaign. Then I actually became the campaign manager. And, you know, we were able to get... Um, you know, we were able to work with the DNC, so I got exposed to that. You know, I got exposed to um, AFSCME and the Chicago Teachers Unions and, and being able to raise money from them, being able to raise money from the community, um, working with street teams, um, which is really interesting stories that I have, you know, from that experience. But that was just an, that's just an example of me, you know, volunteering, just being curious about how something works. And then I, I kind of, you know, see an opportunity to make it better. And, and I was able to constantly surprise myself on all the things I was able to achieve um, that I never thought I would achieve. Um, I also helped start home healthcare agencies. And so that was my um, 
really introduction to healthcare and and the intricacies of working in the United States healthcare system, you know, working through the regulations and, and all of the documentation and, and legal processes of, of running a healthcare um, business. Um, I was exposed to all of that. So, you know, I, I think if you if I just kind of really just sum up like my journey, it was just one of, you know, opportunities, being able to kind of see opportunities create opportunities out of nothing and be able to really add value. And that, that, that has really just been um, what I, I think I've done almost my whole life, um, you know, definitely. So um, yeah. And uh, somehow I ended up in Nigeria trying to do this on a much, much bigger scale. And uh, that's, that's where MedSAC comes in. How did you? Uh, I just picked up something interesting. You know, it's 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 political season in Nigeria now with the elections coming up. Um, how did you end up moving from banking to leading a political campaign in the U.S. in Chicago? How like how did that it, jump happen? Yeah, yeah. Actually, so one of my friends from college, um, he and I had kept in touch. And he, we were talking, I think we were talking about mortgages because he's a lawyer and he, um, he was working for the U S government at that time, if I remember correctly, but I remember we just were keeping in touch somehow. And then he was talking about running for this campaign and, you know, he would always just complain because he would, you know, had hired this really expensive, fancy, uh, law firm in, in Chicago to, help him run the campaign. And I was just looking at it. I was like, these guys are ripping you off. Like, you know, let's, let's go down <laughs> to the people. Let's find out what, let's go grassroots. Want. You know, yeah. like let's, let's, you know, let's do things in the community. Yeah. Like we, I did, we did so many beautiful things um, for the South side of Chicago. Um, you know, basically, um, you know, these, these really interesting areas um, uh, close to the, the South suburbs of Chicago, but also still in Chicago. And, you know, we were able to do a lot. Um, and then that was kind of like my um, refocus for him was like, let's figure out how we could put on a series of events that are just actually bringing value to the community because that's what I was doing or that's what I had done at Wells Fargo. That's a kind of how I differentiated myself um, in, that, uh, in that career um, was doing community events and, and trainings. And, and we even did one that I used to do, which was like financial literacy. You know, so, um, but he's Nigerian. So the interesting thing is is that by running his campaign, um, he's Nigerian American. Um, We, my other idea was to let's get the, all these Nigerians in the diaspora. Let's get these guys to also, um, you know, give money for your campaign. And so I, I was at these, you know, these meetings, these association meetings, you know, with the elderly, you know, elders, and, you know, I'd have to pitch that, hey, you know, you get a chance to, you know, be part of, you know, shaping Chicago, you know, shaping, um, you know, lit- uh, legislation for Chicago or just kind of being more involved. But the interesting thing about that experience is, is that these guys were just interested in talking about Nigerian politics. So we would go in and there would be like, they would speak for like three hours about Nigerian politics. Wow. And, no, not about elections in Chicago. No. Uh, Nigerian and, politics. And so- Amazing. No, exactly. And some of them have, hadn't been back for like 10, 15, 20 years. So it's like wow. they're still like just sitting there talking about Nigerian politics. So I, I think the, the, the diaspora is powerful. And so we wanted to, to work with the diaspora to 
realized that, it, you know, especially in a, in a Nigerian American context that you can actually um, be a leader um, and rally behind your people so that you can um, have a voice. Uh, and so that was, that was the original career. And definitely, or I never thought I would also have anything to do with Nigeria, but that was actually the in mm. that got me interested about Nigeria. It was kind of, you know, sitting with all these old men and listening to their stories and listening to them to complaining about, you know, things happening, happening in Nigeria. That's, that's actually part of this journey. So, you know, you mentioned, you know, all these things kind of interconnected and none of this, I couldn't have gotten here without that because, Otherwise, who else would have been talking about Nigeria? Um, so it's it's uh, it's really interesting um, that. But you're right. Like every single step I've taken is really kind of interwoven um, into the next step. Fantastic. Did you win, by the way? So um, we went up against a daily um, incumbent. So we lost by a hundred, uh, like fifty votes. Oh wow! And so we were <laughs> unknown. We were the least, we were the first time uh, runners. Like we were, there were some really interesting characters in that, um, in that uh, race that had wow. run multiple, multiple times. Um, and if you know anything about Chicago history or politics, you know, daily is like an institution. Like, you mm. know, like they, those guys um, had been in power for a long, long time. So you don't really go up against the institution, but we did. And wow. we almost won. I mean, 50, so, 50 votes, um, I mean, I that's that, very uh, slim. It was, it was really slim and potentially even fraud, fraudulent. Potentially we did win. Who knows? Who knows? You know, yeah. because um, you get, you have to go around and get these physical signatures, right? You know, so it's all about, you know, physical signatures to get onto the ballot and then, you know, like physical counting to like decide if you won or not. So, you know, it was a very slim that, uh, that what they showed us. So I, I, don't, I don't actually know. But it was devastating to me at the time. But I learned so much from that that I then took to the next things that I did and the next and the next. And and even parts of Medzap are, you know, I came, there's two things that I think I took from mm. the political campaign that helped me start Medzap. One is that, you know, I was able to get all of these people from all over the, the city, um, a lot from even the suburbs. People would drive um, to our office on the south side of Chicago and go out and knock on doors. Wow. And I was able to, and this is did for you, free. Did you pay or was right? it for free? You know, so yeah, no, no, it's for wow. free. So we were able to inspire, you know, I was able to inspire people to get involved and be interested in, in something that had nothing to do with them really. And so, you know, definitely, you know, when we, I, I started MedZap with a slogan, quality medication is a fundamental human right. And that is, you know, something that everybody can get behind. And even if it doesn't necessarily um, physically Im impact them, they can rally behind this call. And, and a lot of early days of Metzap was about just bringing people together that, you know, you know, just wanted to be part of, you know, this movement that we were building that is quality medication is a fundamental human right. Um, and so I learned the power of, you know, building movements from the political campaign um, as well as uh, counting the votes, you know, the DNC came in, they brought all their specialists from all over the, uh, you know, their, like, their operatives from all over the country um, to come and help us. And, you know, it was really just kind of learning the mathematical uh, analysis behind, mm -hmm. you know, how you can be sure that you 
that someone's something's going to come up, the probabilities of things and how to, you know, improve proper probabilities of people's behaviors. Got it. Um, how to, you know, think about, you know, counting the votes, you know, and, and so that is definitely something I think I do it every day at Metzaf. Got it. <laughs> you know, I do it every day with my, uh, it, you know, in some way, shape or form is this concept of, you know, being able to have high levels of probability that people will do what you want them to do. Um, and so that's, uh, those are two key things I learned from that. So basically you, you started out in, <clears throat> in banking, left and went to do something totally unrelated, uh, in, in politics and, and helping someone with, with, with his campaign. And then interestingly, you built out a bunch of things, right? You, you found a love for Nigeria. You bought like a whole bunch of things around how to mobilize people. Uh, you then sort of also was doing something in healthcare and eventually you came to Nigeria. I mean, it's, it's such an interesting, interesting journey. Well, I guess for me, the, the, the other question I have for you before we now sort of switch gears and talk about MedSaf, you coming to Nigeria and, and sort of founding MedSaf is, you know, when I was doing a bit of research about you, there's one word that kept on coming up, right? And, and that word was impact. And I realized as you are speaking, you, you mentioned a couple of times, right? Like, how do you, how do you define, define impact for, for yourself? Right. And so let's say in 50 years time, if they're right, I know betray about Vivian, right? Like, what would you, what would you love for them to say? Um, so I came to Nigeria to build institutions, right? Um, you know, I fashioned myself against, you know, the, the, you know, the entrepreneurs of, you know, the 1800s in the United States, you know, I was coming here to build foundations and institutions that bring sustainable, um, sustainable, you know, solutions, sustainable solutions um, to the hardest problems. And, and that was literally, you know, what I was thinking in my mind, um, you know, when I came to Nigeria, that was, that was the intention. Um, because, you know, I had, at, by this time, by the time I got to Nigeria, I had traveled all over the world. I had backpacked, I had, you know, seen, you know, life, um, you know, and had this, these life experiences and, um, and heard, you know, a lot about Nigeria and the problems. And so I came to see, okay, well, if we can take, you know, the best of what's happening in the U.S. or in China or Brazil, you know, all these, some of these places I had been, and we could actually build a, um, good solutions, maybe, maybe we can solve these problems and, and create a good story around um, Nigerians, a good story around, a story of success around Africans. And that literally was my thought process when I landed in the country. You know, I had just come from business school, you know, so I kind of thought I was going to take over the world. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the, the goal was the, in, the impact was all, the impact of building solid and sustainable um, institutions that solve deep problems. That was what I came here to do. And Fantastic. so if in 50 years they're like, wow. Vivian built the largest institution of affordable healthcare, uh, pharmaceutical products, or, you know, supply chain platforms or whatever, you know, they end up saying, and then that is what I came here to do. And that's what I would be happy for people to recognize me for a hundred years from now. Fantastic. So, so really building sort of sustainable mm -hmm. institutions that drive impact, uh, impact on the continent. Uh, that, that's fantastic. How was it? Before you, you you could do this, you had to come to Nigeria, right? So 
I guess sometime 2013, 2014, you said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to leave, you know, whatever I was in the U S I'm going to pack my bags, <laughs> come to Nigeria. Probably was your first time, right? In Nigeria. It was my first. I've never been to Nigeria. I'll never forget when I landed at the, <laughs> the airport. Um, but that was, that was my first time. <laughs> and, and, and you know, the, Vivian, the interest that, that leads, it leads me to my question, right? Like, uh, you know, I happen to, and I was telling you this before we started, I also happened to sort of come to Nigeria, you know, just around the same time. And, you know, uh, it was a shock for me, you know, like it was very challenging, first of all, to get family and friends to, you know, be comfortable with me coming to Nigeria because obviously they had watched all of these movies about Nigeria, et cetera, right? And then you land in the airport and like, it's a different vibe and it's a different energy and, you know, it's, it's, it takes some getting used to, right? And then once you sort of get used to it, you actually find there's a lot of interesting things about Nigeria and a lot of excitement, exciting things in Nigeria. I guess my question to you is when you came in 2013, you know, proper JJC, right? Bright eyed, bushy tailed. How was that process? <laughs> how was the process like, you know, of adopting, um, what are the challenges in the initial, initial days? Um, what are some of the things that took you by surprise? Can you share a little bit of that? Yeah, I mean, I, first of all, I want to acknowledge like my privilege. Like I know that, you know, some of the things that I'm going to say are not necessarily normal for the average person. And so I'm acknowledging that, right? Like that, that it's not that anybody can just kind of come up, have, you know, a lot of money in the bank on their own and come to this country and then be able to kind of like flit around and figure it out like I did. Like, I get that. And I think that there are so many different ways that people can can do this. Right. And I think the, the easiest way is obviously coming into the country with a with a company. Um, you know, so <laughs> I, I just want to, to, to say it that way. But, you know, yeah, I mean, I, you know, had this internship I was supposed to do um, for three months and to complete my business program. And I chose Nigeria um, to kind of see what the opportunities were um, for me, not only to, to finish that program, but also, you know, could could this be some could this be a place that I could could do something big, build a business and that is um, attacking, you know, any one of these really hard problems. And, you know, I had a, an uncle that I grew up with um, that came to Nigeria a long time ago and was um, like the head of. Motorola at some point, wow. you know, so he, you know, I stayed with him and his family. Um, they lived part time. And then I had um, gotten connected with another uncle who um, helped build um, one of the earliest um, tel uh, cable television companies in the country. Um, so I kind of had this really soft landing with my uncle, though there was a whole plan on how to kick me out um, of the country and get me back to Chicago for sure from my parents and everybody. So nobody was, everyone was just like, Vivian is too strong <laughs> to just like tell her no, yeah. but we're going to figure out how to make this so that this girl goes home in December. Oh, that's right. And I think that that was the original plan for, right. for my family. So trust me, nobody was, nobody was celebrating. Nobody was saying that this is, this is something like nobody was like, okay, this is, you know, yeah, she's doing a good thing and she's going to be able to figure it out. Everybody was waiting for me 
um, to get back on that plane in December of that year, uh, 2013. So <laughs> trust me. Um, yeah, it was really interesting. But, um, you know, I got to, you know, I had a good place to stay, which I think is like very crucial to being able to do anything and think about anything. It's just like having a good place to stay and then having like something to try um, where you can try something and fail you know, and make mistakes. And, and, and those were all kind of crucial parts to my origin stories in this country. So I just want to be real open that, um, you know, I definitely had people that I could um, rely on and count on when I came here um, that I could trust, right? But, you know, then them having kind of that framework, mm. but yeah, then it was kind of like me, you know, kind of going out and talking to as many people as I possibly could um, to understand um, what Nigeria was all about. And, and it was really fun. I had a lot of fun when I, le- when I came here. Initially, the plan was three months, right? What happened? I mean, how, yeah. how did it change from, from three months to yeah. you know, three years and six years? What, what happened? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, I was looking for something, you know, and, and actually I remember, so I'll tell you the story of my first night in Nigeria. You know, I was, you know, like, what did I get myself into? And I woke up that morning and I went to go take a shower and the power went off. (laughs) And so, you know, that sound, the sound of the generator, you know, the switchover sound. I was like, we're under attack. You know, like the house is like about to explode. And so I'm covered in soap (laughs) and like, like it's dark, like now it's dark. And I'm just like, what the hell is going on? Like, I don't understand. Like, I really didn't get it. Like, it never happened to me before in my entire life. And then they were like, Vivian, the power just went off. It's just changing over. And I was like, oh, my God. And then, like, you know, like, then I started to learn about this power issue. And I was really concerned because does it mean that then if... So I started to understand that, okay, Napa comes on only for these hours. And then if you have the generator, then... You put it on and it's expensive, you know, because they would always complain. They were like, Vivian, you can't leave all the lights on and you can't leave everything plugged in because, you know, generators expensive. And so I was like, wait, but we're living in Parkview. So what about the people who are not living in a massive mansion? Where the, what are they doing? You know, and, and I just kept thinking about my life. And, you know, when I was at work in the U.S., you know, I would drive, um, you know, and 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 for hours without thinking about anything at all, except daydreaming about what I wanted to do. And here you have a situation where power goes out and then you can't even like work, you can't study, you can't, you know, it's almost like your life is just, um, you know, just halted when the lights or the power go off. Yeah, you know, and, and I just thought that that was not fair. So that became my first goal. Um, was how can we fix the power uh, situation? And so I actually, um, through a family friend, got connected to a former head of oil and gas. Um, He was, you know, large uh, global oil and gas, and then he had left and had just retired. And so I actually pitched him. I said, why don't we start a renewable energy company because you've been in oil and gas this whole time. And, you know, that that's one thing. But what if we, you know, create clean energy solutions uh, and and uh, start with the um, 
uh, business sector. And then as it gets bigger and bigger, you know, we can create power solutions for all. I have no clue. I'm not an engineer. I'm not, um, I'm not an engineer. <laughs> I don't know what I was talking about, but he said yes. Wow. And so wow. that became my, you know, in to kind of say um, to my parents and to the world, like, look, I'm here and I am solving the energy crisis in Nigeria. So <laughs> and, and, I must be on And something. I'm staying. And I'm staying beyond three months, right? And I'm staying. And I'm staying. And I'm staying beyond three months. So that's that's how that's how it happened. So um, and he's a current investor in Betsaf, but definitely if he hadn't have said yes, you know, then I probably would be also back in Chicago. No, but it, it's an amazing story. Yeah. I'd always wondered once again, you know, when I'm doing these interviews, I try to do quite a, as much research as possible, right? So that I don't ask completely dumb questions, right? And I always wondered why, you know, why would somebody who has a banking political, you know, campaign, medical background, going to green, you know, solar energy, right? And now it totally, yeah, it totally makes sense. I was frustrated. I was fresh. I didn't think it was fair that people can, you know, just deal with the fact that the power is going to go out for hours at a time. And that was actually my very first bad experience in Nigeria mm. was the power going out and me feeling like, um, is, am I dying or are we going to die? You know, and so I just was like, okay, I think there's a solution here. And I had, I remember I had been, I've been everywhere. And so I had been to Germany many times. Munich, if you fly into Munich, what are you going to see? You're actually going to see solar installations on everyone's home. And like here you have, you know, Europeans being able to kind of use wind power and solar power and all of these other types of power solutions to augment what? But here in Nigeria, there's like, we, need this kind of like augmentation um for this this power grid solution and there it's everyone's just kind of left to their own devices um so that was the the mentality um back then was that hey you know maybe solar um uh technology is advanced enough mm. to work for um you know at least the industrial and commercial um industries in Nigeria and that then we can move from there um, into a commercial uh, into you know uh, direct to consumer Vivian when my, my first when I moved to Nigeria yeah I think probably the first two or three days I, I just couldn't sleep it's like this constant noise <laughs> I was like what is this what is going yeah, on yeah, that noise, but anyway yeah. I, I think you know I guess noise pollution is it bad. is it is I guess for me, yeah. as I think about, as I reflect on what you just said, right, the, the natural thing that comes to me is here you were, you'd found like a higher calling, right, around solving, making energy accessible and reliable in Nigeria, which, as you said, is, is, the, is the fair thing to, to do, right? How did you transition from that higher call to maybe another call, which is even more higher, which is medications and saving life? How did that, how did that happen? Yeah. So that, that experience got me in the door, many doors. Mm. You know, I sat at board meetings at, of large banks, um, oil and gas companies. You know, I had so many people that I met that were high level, um, because of my partner, because he was high level. So he was just like introducing me to all of these people and I'm pitching them about, um, you know, doing projects. And, you know, then I'm starting to understand even deeper, you know, I, you know, the high level 
conversations and then also the difference between high level conversations at the top and what they want and their motives and then the middle managers and their motives and also just how different that was and when you put this in the context of power energy and you walk into you know businesses and you say i'm actually going to make you more efficient i'm going to reduce your cost by x i'm going to streamline your whole you know operations um it was interesting how the where I was receiving resistance and where I was receiving support, and so that really just helped me understand more about you know how corporations in Nigeria work from a you know levels of authority perspective and bureaucratic perspective, but then also the hidden levers of power. Yeah. You know, I will never forget the meeting that was. This is our big multi million dollar deal. You know, and we had all the board members, we had all the managers, we had all the CEOs, and they brought the head of facility. And he was the only one that walked into this room that had gold everywhere, <laughs> like gold <laughs> rings, gold necklaces, everything. He had gold oh, everywhere. Wow. And this man, you know, this man was the blocker. He was the person that stopped wow. that deal from going through. Wow. You know, because, and he took me aside and said, what church do you go to? And I was just like, uh, what does church got to do with this? Right? This guy <laughs> isn't interested. This guy isn't interested in talking about the business. Wow. This guy wants something from me. And that, so that's, that's just, that's just my first example. So like, obviously he did want something, right? But, you know, so I was now learning the intricacies of these things, but at the same time, the Naira crashed. Mm. And we were not prepared for financing. So, you know, we didn't have the structure. Um, the, comp the company structure was not one where we didn't have the structure or the planning around how to help these, hosp these hospitals, how to help these uh, companies actually get access to financing. And the, there was a difference in the mindset. You know, we were selling 14-year projects um, that would pay off in 14 years. Um, at the time, you know, maybe even longer. And they were looking at two-year timeframes and as the, or, you know, five-year timeframes. And then as the Naira is crashing, they're getting more and more short, short term mm. around what they're going to invest in. Right. Um, and so that was just the learning lesson. It, it didn't work at that time without financing because, you know, the, 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 the decision makers just really couldn't justify that, that 14 years, you know, so it just became harder and harder to get projects um, closed. And then as the Naira was crashing, um, it just was, the decision was just like, you know, maybe this is not the right thing to do now. Mm. Um, also at the time, a lot of resistance um, from some of the government projects that we were looking at too. Um, so it, it just didn't, it didn't work. It didn't work at that time. Um, you know, I, I hopped onto another project with one of the vendors that we were working with. I'm still in the energy space, so I'm still kind of in the energy space. But then I was just thinking, okay, well, how this isn't going to work. I'm not the right person for it, and this isn't going to work. So how am I going to create the impact, right? And so earlier on, um, in my early days, in that first you know year of being in Nigeria, you know, a friend of mine. Um, who was the one of the first people to ever take me out, right? So, you know, I needed to, I was in Nigeria and I had all these people, you know, that I would reach out to that would take me out and show me, the, you know, this world. And, and I had so much fun. And he was one of those guys, you know, I was friends with his, his, his brother in Atlanta. 
And, you know, so he would come pick me up and then he would, he was the first person to take me to sip. If you remember sip, yep, I do. you know, like he I was do. the first person that, that really like, kind of like, you know, yeah. He, to introduce me to like that, that Lagos nightlife. And I was like, wow, you know, and then I remember him saying he, he felt ill. I do remember that him saying that he felt ill or something. And then he died, wow. you know, and then when his brothers were kind of relaying the story to me about a malaria pill, taking a fake malaria pill and, you know, how he died, it was so physically shocking, you know, to me, you know, like, and, and I just remember feeling a sense of sad, obviously I was very sad, but also physical shame, like just being fully ashamed that that had happened to him. Ashamed because, you know, it's a shock to mm. me, but people here are used to it. You know, they're used to it, um, according to his family at the time. And, and then talking to more and more people about it who would say this, yeah, you know, my friend or my dad or like my cousin. And, and I kept hearing these stories over and over again. I would complain about it over and over again. I would hear the same thing. You know, and and that just I felt a sense of shame that, you know, I, I grew up in a place where I would never, ever have to. I would never think about that at that time. I don't know about the United States today, but back when I was growing up, that was never something that I would ever question ever, um, you know. And so th I was just curious about it. So while I was working and still in power, I was just curious. I wasn't thinking that I could actually do Medza. That wasn't the first thought. The first thought was, okay, well, I wonder what people are doing, right? And so I was just researching. Um, you know, I was calling manufacturers to understand what they, what do they do? Because of course, you know, my, I was a bit naive and I said to myself, oh, well, maybe Nigeria just doesn't have access to Pfizer or Merck or Sanofi. They just, mm. just they just don't have them. You know, must be, must be they don't have, you know, access. So let me call them. And, you know, I would talk to people and then, you know, uh, the, 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 the stories about being burned, lack of transparency, lack of trust, you know, the themes of those stories just continue to pop up. And I was like, wow. You know, so even if they wanted to invest in Nigeria, you know, they have a they already have a long list of reasons why they don't want to, or they, or if they do want to, you know, they would only do it with you know limited exposure. And so I was just learning about that. Same thing with, and then I was learning about that. I saw that as an opportunity, and so that kind of spurred me on to continue to talk about it. Um, with now with um, hospitals and pharmacies and people who were pharmacists and, you know, just trying to kind of understand, you know, what the pain points were. And so those earlier days, you know, we were, was really just trying to, was, was focused on figuring out what the problems were. And then once I realized that, you know, technology could be a solution here um, to fixing this problem, that's when, you know, I, figured out, okay, well, what could my entry point be not being a pharmacist? Um, well, maybe I'll focus on um, vitamins and supplements. So let me test this out. And so I built a website in 2000, this is 2000 and, um, this is 2015. So 2015, I built a website called vitamins.ng, 
and, you know, did like, I did it all by myself and I put, you know, I bought Medicaid, I bought vitamins and supplements and then I started doing Facebook marketing and people were buying, they were buying it. They were like reaching out to me on my phone was constantly blowing up. I'm like, oh my God, this is something people will buy online. That's awesome. They will buy vitamins. So remember, I had built a, fa a Facebook page. I had built a website and a Facebook page, and I was doing online mm. marketing. And so I, you know, price. So when you look at some of the things I was selling, um, you know, the, the price was really good. Um, I was plugging in logistics companies. So I was testing out all the early parts of Metzef, plugged in the logistics companies, and you know, payments, solutions, you know, weren't really available then. They were just making transfers, but, you know, it was just the ease of it. And I was actually also doing education around the different vitamins as well. Like that was, I was doing that to test it out. Um, and so that was that, I never really talk about that, but that is actually something that we did wow. in 2000, wow. I did in 2015 by myself to kind of test the market and see like, okay, will people use tech, will people purchase from you online? Does that work? And it worked. Um, and so then that kind of pushed me to formalize the team, you know, kind of really think about where the focus could be um, and um, identify this vision, which would end up becoming Metzaf. Um, and yeah, so that's the journey. <laughs> it's, it's, Vivian, it's an amazing journey. Uh, you know, as I'm listening to you, there are a lot of interesting threads that are coming out, right? There's a thread around, you were thinking about idea, right? Well, whilst you were, you're working on your, on your power company and you're sort of testing it and doing the research over a period of time before you actually now started to, to test it out and, and see if it's going to, so I thought that was quite, quite interesting as well. And then obviously the very moving story about, um, about your friend, which like you rightly said, I think all of us, you know, you look around and you always find, you know, family members who have, who've gone through this, right? And it's just absolutely uh, gut wrenching. Um, maybe I guess that heats me up to my, my next, my next question. So what's, can you give an overview for the benefit of the audience, right? Can you give an o overview of MedSaf, right? And, and what are you guys doing to sort of, I don't know whether to call it disrupt. I don't know what it's called transformation, but you know, what are you doing to disrupt the pharma industry in, in Nigeria? Yeah. Um, so MedZap is an end-to-end -end pharmaceutical technology platform to increase access, affordability, and quality of medications in emerging markets. Um, so we're really about building the technology to reduce the friction of all of these various healthcare stakeholders to work together. Um, and we started out as um, really building a true marketplace um, where we're making it easier for hospitals to purchase, manage, track, um, and finance their medications and have it delivered to them within 24 to 48 hours. And then on the other side, vetting quality suppliers and, medic and manufacturers uh, to make sure that their products are readily available um, to the public. And so that is the, the first piece of, of what MedSAF is. Uh, but the second layer of that is really about extracting the information um, from you know, the, the needs of the market to help manufacturers, governments, NGOs, and all other stakeholders kind of increase their offerings um, to, the, uh, to, to our markets that we operate in. And so that, that is the, the, the vision um, and, and really just how we, we do that or how we execute 
that is is what we've been working on um, since 2017. And and I guess you know the 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 customer in this case is not the end user, right? Like myself, yourself. I guess the customer is the pharmacies, the hospitals who would sort of come to you and sort of get drugs from you, right? Is that correct? Um, through the Manzac platform, yes. Okay. So yes, um, right now we focus on hospitals, pharmacies corporations, NGOs, they can all purchase um, medications for their healthcare um, facilities and um, get access to financing and, and have it delivered to them within 24 to 48 hours. And then um, there are uh, software that we build to make it easier for these um, healthcare stakeholders to actually you know, understand what their demand is, understand what their need is um, in real time. Um, so that they, so that they always have access to the medications um, that they need. How many customers do you have, and and can you give a sense, maybe range, how's it um, going? So we've worked with over seven hundred. Yeah, we work with over. So since then, we worked with over seven hundred healthcare stakeholders, including patients, uh, corporations, um, and pharmacies, but mostly um, hospitals. Mm. Um, we're it, we've shipped across twenty two states. Um, we have hubs in three states. Um, in Nigeria now, um, and you know, we're really kind of doubling down on um, Nigeria expansion um, uh, for the upcoming year. And then the goal is to then move into to other markets that also suffer from the same similar issues. Vivian, on a scale of one to ten, right? One being very easy, and ten being very difficult. How hard is it to build and and manage what you are doing now with Metsaf? Well, um, today it's much easier, but when we started, um, there were a couple of different factors that um, the people who are in the industry now um, don't have the hurdle of overcoming. And so if you'd asked me the question maybe in 2018, I would have said 10. <laughs> if you ask me the question now, um, you know, we really, we work with all of the largest and, and best hospitals and doctors in the country now. You know, we have a brand um, and people understand and know Medzaf. And those that ha there, we have many customers who've been with us since 2017 and 2018. And they've seen a constant, you know, an you know uh, anal analyzing of, of what we're offering and, and improving, you know, on, on what we're offering over and over and over again. You know, so today um, we are trying to deal with our pipeline. Um, you know, that's why, you know, I, I told you what I was doing earlier today, you know, we're trying to deal with our pipeline, you know, whereas if, when we first started, we actually had to change minds, change behaviors. A lot of the hospitals that we spoke to were actually going to the open drug market to purchase medications, Wow. you know, and so, because it was easy to go there, you know, you physically go there, you pick up the medication, you look at it, you can ask the cost, you can look someone in the eye and say, can I trust you? right? Which was, was key. You know, they were physically going there. They were physically spending, you know, billions, you know, um, as groups, you know, going there to purchase medications. Um, and, you know, technology is really non-existent. You know, we were going to hospitals, they're using paper. We go to manufacturers. We went into some of the, man the local manufacturers and we saw nothing but wow. paper. Um, no systems or in in majority of the places that we went to in the early days, um, right? So you have 
not tech. And then also the suppliers are non-tech. Like you can't even get an invoice, like a, a digital, a digitized invoice. Like that, that was almost, I, we never ran into to it. <laughs> it was a written piece of paper always, you know? So in those early days, it was really about making the market. And of course, I didn't understand that fully until now looking back, I realized like we had to be evangelists for technology ad adaptation and changing behaviors about how to think about purchasing medications um, for your patients. Um, and that work um, was, was extremely, excruciatingly hard. How, how was it like getting your first on the customer side, you know, your first hospital or, or pharmacy, right? And then conversely on, on the supply side, your first manufacturer, how was that experience like back in the day, right? When all of these things were paper and, you know, you're just some new person on, on the block trying to sort of talk about this digital platform. How, how was it like? Yeah, I mean, like what MedSap's vision is hasn't changed that much, you know. So I was going in there pitching the vision. So what's changed is just like the possibility mm -hmm. of this vision, right? And so they were just looking at me like, whoa, <laughs> I don't know, you know. But um, the hospitals really, like the owners, really, again, the owners really loved us, you know. And I think that they really supported us. The manufacturers you know the higher levels uh high level people within those manufacturing they loved us you know and so you know because we were one of the first people to go there and say hey this is what we're trying to do so we got so much love and support from the healthcare industry when we first started um and still do you know i think that you know the question was can we actually mm. do it and I think that now today it's so much, it's so interesting to kind of go back and because, you know, I'm sure that, you know, people just kind of believed in me, you know, as a person. Um, and so it's now shifted into believe in the possibilities because you see it happening around you. And so, yeah, it, it, was, it was really special um, early days talking to people because those that understood, um, you know, remember we're dealing with a lot of doctors here. They're highly educated. Um, you know, we're dealing with owners of manufacturing companies, local and global. They're highly educated people. They know that what I was selling as the future sh was the right way to go, but they're burdened, overburdened by the reality of what's actually happening, which is that everybody else, all these other stakeholders um, make it really easy just to kind of like, just put your hands up and just say, just, I'm going to do what I have, to, you know, I'm just going to deal with what I've got. Um, because it, it's, it's messy. It was very, very, very messy. Um, uh, you know, when we started this company and, and just the state of what we saw. And, 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 and Vivian, maybe just to piggyback on that, right. I, I mean, I picked this picture from, from the internet, right. And and this is like an open market yeah. somewhere in Indonesia. Is, is this like what you had to confront? Like when you see this picture, what what sort of emotions yeah. and what sort of thinking? So, yeah. so I'll tell you a funny story for your audience. Um, it's not so funny, but it's just, this is what I had to do. So I actually got arrested in the open oh, wow. market. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> So I got arrested because I went to the open drug market to raise the awareness of the reality 
and take pictures like this and take video like this. And so, and because when I first saw the market, I said, this is wrong. Like, this is horrible. Like, how could this be the way that people are buying their medications? It doesn't make sense. And so I went there with a camera crew <laughs> and, you know, we went there to. <laughs> in, in, in the spirit of your Chicago political yeah, day, we... went there with a camera. <laughs> yes, I went there with a camera crew and, um, you know, went to look around and I was like, wow, this is, this is, what is this? And I didn't understand it at first, um, but we uh, got arrested by the people. Um, all of a sudden there were like these people that just like surrounded us. And they took us, um, then said we were going to be put oh, on wow. trial. So we had to then go, like, we went to, like, different places. We were kind of led through the market and then ended up in front of this really old man who said that he was the leader of the market. And, you know, I kind of, he put us on trial and people testified against us. They said that we were reporters and that we were, you know, you're going to, we were doing something bad. Um, and I just kind of gave him, and it was my turn to speak, and I just kind of gave a speech about how I was had come back to Nigeria to do something really good for Nigerians. And, you know, like I was trying to help. And I, I don't know, I, I know that was the, the thought process around what I was saying. And he, I didn't know what was going to happen to us. And, and my team was scared. Like we didn't know if they were going to hurt us or what. Um, but he actually... Afterwards, he was like, you know what? My kids are in the U.S. and they don't want to come back. And he's like, welcome back, my daughter. And I'm like, wow. wow. You know, like this guy wow. is like, you know, like he's going to let me go. And and he just said, you know, we just don't want you to mess up what we have here. And so I looked at it through a negative lens back then. But now that I've actually been in the market, I understand exactly what these guys have done they are dealing in the best way that they can and creating a situation for the best way, they, way that they can to overcome all these problems right you know because what better way to make sure that people get access to anything than to congregate in one place together in a market right and so they're dealing with the same things. They're using their groups to purchase in bulk, you know, aggregation to get better pricing so they can have affordable medications. You know, they're dealing with, you know, they're putting themselves together so that they can provide um, and make sure that, that you know, pe people have what they need. And, you know, you know, they even have associations. That was the leader of the association, I think, or if someone leader of the market. I don't know. You know, um, it, it, so they're trying the best that they can, right? But they're doing, they're, they're doing it on feature phones and paper, right? And so what I was realizing at that time, especially having been, you know, connected to the tech ecosystem and being able to see what was happening, you know, from a tech perspective in Nigeria at the time, I could see the vision, which is that, hey, you guys, we can actually put all of this online. We can use technology to bring you guys all together. And using technology, we could then, you know, bring forward good players and get rid of bad players and reinforce that positive behavior around purchasing of medications. And that we can then insert quality control in a way that is just really hard for you to do here in this market. 
And so that's also like the evolution of my, even my thought process of even the lenses that I look at um, Nigeria with is, you know, sometimes you just see this big mess and you're like, ugh, this is really nasty. But then you realize, okay, this is what people are having to do because of all of these problems that have not been solved um, from a macro perspective. So that is, yeah, I've definitely been to the market and most of my customers were going there when we first started. And, and what Medzap is building is a solution to the market. <laughs> Um, you know, Vivian, I mean, this, this is super inspirational. I think it, as I think about your business, right? And this is why I was asking you how difficult it is. Right? It, it feels like it's an extremely difficult business, not, not because the problem itself is, is difficult, but because there are so many, there are many multiple parts of the problem which are broken, right? And sort of like this marketplace piece mm -hmm. is one piece which was like really broken before you started, right? So I think it's, I think it's an amazing story. H how... I read somewhere that you you had delivered drugs to one of your customers in northern Nigeria in less than twenty four hours, right? And and I was just wondering how is that even possible? Yeah. Like even I can't I can't get to northern Nigeria, you know, as a, as an individual in twenty four hours. Like how do you get like a whole? Um, how do you do that? Well, so from the very beginning of of Mensaf, we've been using data. Um, to analyze our purchases, understand, you know, what do we need to have as a, what does the supplier need to have on hand? Where do they need to go, go and get it? We have seven various layers of redundancy for medications um, that we provide. Um, and then what do our customers need? And so, you know, if we're thinking, if I'm thinking about the same um, customer, um, one of our largest uh, customers um, in the Northern region, you know, we are constantly aggregating their needs in advance um, and then being able to kind of ship on demand. Um, and we use uh, planes, so we, we air freight medications many times. Um, and many times that's also how we get it in as well. Um, but yeah, no, definitely. Um, this all becomes much easier when you have uh, technology in place to analyze, um, aggregate, and put um, people in the in, put people in and and um, put things in the right place, right? And so that is that's what we're building, um, not only internally for ourselves as a supplier, but for other suppliers who will then use the system and be able to do better at their job. And same thing goes for the other side of the marketplace, um, which is the hospitals and other healthcare providers. They can then use the information. Um, that we're providing to then do better at, at procurement of medications that they need. And, and that is at the core of what we're... The, um, what does the next steps sort of look like for, for MedSaf, right? Even as we are wrapping up the conversation, is it more around, hey, we are, there's a lot to innovate around, right? So we're going to sort of continue to innovate and bring new products to the market. Or is it more around, hey, we figured this out, we've we started in 2014, a lot of things didn't exist. We have it in place. Want to take it, want to expand in Nigeria, want to take it and replicate it in, uh, in other markets, right? How are you thinking about things going forward? Um, so, like, remember I said, I want to build a sustainable institutions, um, you know, and the product that we're building or what Medzap is building um, as a company works and it was always designed to work at scale. Um, so we need to enter new markets. We need to expose um, to be exposed to different languages um, and different ways um, 
of that these countries actually operate from the perspective from the pharmaceutical perspective and um, uh, test those out make sure that our platform um, uh, works um, in additional markets as well and the goal is for this company to be a pan-african company and, and an emerging market company so we're not stopping at you know the continent of africa we want this is the same issue um, also exists in different expressions in South America, Central America, and Asia, and also the U.S. Actually, um, if you see, if you've been paying attention to the issues with the COVID um, nineteen vaccine rollout, as well as the the um, you know the consumables around COVID nineteen, it's the same issue, right? Where 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 are these products located? Are they safe and are they cost effective? You know, that's those are the three things that were. You know that we're tackling, and um, and we built it from inception to be um, something that can work in in many many different um, uh, environments, and so we need to continue to push forward on that. Any final pieces of advice, tips for for the audience? And here, you know, think about people who heard your story are inspired. They've got some sort of burning problem they also want to address. Any final tips, advice? Yeah, I mean, you can. I I don't really share the the vitamins and G story because you know, just like there's too much to share typically. But you know, I, I shared. I sh I guess I shared. Maybe I, I uh, intuitively knew. I would say it this way: is like you know, there was a problem, and I and I didn't know what was going to happen, right? But like I just took a step forward and tested something out, and and then I I wanted to get as many data points as I possibly could and formulate the vision. And so, you know, it's not that I just, you know, came, landed in Nigeria and said, I'm going to sell drugs, you know, yay. You know, like, that's not how it happened. I actually, you know, took a lot of time to just kind of, you know, understand the terrain and learn from other people and put this thing in place in a way that, um, you know, could be um, the, the, the probability of it being successful was high. Um, and so I, I think it's it's just take that first step and then, you know, but build the right foundation um, so that it's not just a vision or just this something that you're just going to get investors to, to throw, you know, millions of dollars into. Actually create the foundation that, that can be sustainable so that this is a business you can look back at and say, I did successful, but that it's actually helping people um, in a way that, that they can count on and believe in. Um, for 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 time, so that that's what I would say. Vivian, thanks thanks a lot for this. I mean, this has been a super exciting, uh, insightful conversation. Thanks a lot for taking the time <laughs> to, to share it uh, from from Chicago to Onicha and sort of standing on trial and and persevering. Ah! persevering through that. so it's an amazing story. Um, I wish you and uh, the rest of the team that's yeah. up all the best as you expand. We'll be waiting for you in in Ghana. Um, so hit us up once you're Thank here. Thank you. And you all know, everyone can be part of the MetsApp journey. Everyone. Everyone can be Sign part of the MetsApp journey. You know, we, um, exactly. You know, you can invest in MetsApp. You can partner with us. You know, we don't, this is not goodbye. So thank you. Thanks a lot. <laughs> Thanks a lot for coming too. Cheers. All right. Bye.